Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Steve Gelbs is with us. Steve is in the clubhouse every day and probably has a much better handle on the dynamics down there than we do. Steve, how do you read what transpired over the last four months? Yeah, you know, guys, from day one, really, something just felt different about this group than last year's group, a little more disconnected, uh, not as close-knit. And I think one of the the misconceptions and and, uh, talking points that has probably been misstated is that, you know, why is this team, which is essentially the same as last year's team, performing so differently? This is not the same team as last year's team. And I think you can point specifically to the pitching staff. We're talking about Max Scherzer being traded. Last year, how many times did we show a shot in the dugout of Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, that group talking after each one of their starts, conversing about how to get better, clearly having a great relationship? We haven't shown those shots at all this season. It's a different mix. That's not saying that any of these guys are bad guys, but sometimes the chemistry isn't quite what it was, and I can sense that from day one in that clubhouse. I think also, you know, Edwin Diaz, a huge, huge part of it, not just on the field, but a great clubhouse guy. Eduardo Escobar got off to a tough start and was unable to be that same guy in the clubhouse and ultimately was removed. So, you know, this this idea that it's the exact same team is incorrect, and I think it showed out there. You know, I think oftentimes in, in this day and age, especially with analytics, you know, people underestimate how important team chemistry is and how important the right mix is. For whatever reason, this season was not the right mix. And I think when you look at what the Mets are doing right now, and you guys spoke to it, uh, it's clear that they've they've changed courses here. And I think you can expect more moves to be made, maybe some more moves that, that raise people's eyebrows. I commend the front office and, quite frankly, Steve Cohen's ownership right now by not going halfway. I, you know, I, I love the show Breaking Bad, right? Um, if you're familiar with that show, there's going half measures and full measures, right? They talk about you can't go half measure. And I think that this this group decided we are not going to half measure this thing. We are going to you know, tear down what we feel like we have to, and we are going to get younger, more dynamic, even if that means that maybe next year even we're not competing for a World Series. I do think that Steve Cohen's money, it certainly allows for um, you know opportunity to, to still compete while bringing up these young kids, but that I don't think will be the number one focus next year. It will not be on winning a World Series next year. It'll be about about being competitive, but the long-term growth and and sustainability, which Steve Cohen has talked a lot about, I think that is going to be first and foremost moving forward. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. So much to digest. You guys heard Gelbs before. And I don't disagree with Gelbs that things never um got on track this year. I really don't I don't I don't disagree with that. I mean, look, I've said it a thousand times. Correa not signing. And then really within a three week span, you had Diaz go down for the year. Verlander went down for a month and, and got his season started late. Those were killers. And the WBC scattering these guys all around. Not 
having the ability for a team that, even though it was the same group, had not been together. It's not like they're a team that's been together half a decade or, or, or you know, five, six years. You know, it's almost like you had to come together, figure out what went wrong at the end of last year, and start to build together as a team. Now, I understand baseball is not like the NBA or hockey, and, and it's you don't have to predicate everything on everybody else, so to speak. If you're an individual and you have a great year, and in your vacuum, you're Pete Alonso and you hit 40 home runs and drive 110 runs. Doesn't matter as long as you do that. But I think there is a certain amount of synergy with that. Now, I don't know if it had Cranepool who was on the air talking about how they're playing for themselves, how a guy really knows that. I mean, everybody's playing for themselves in some way, shape, or form. Now, if you're not moving the runner over or you're not grinding the counts out like they did last year, which to a certain degree, they're not doing some of those things, then maybe I could see that point. But I don't think Ed Cranepool can make that statement. I think a lot of things went bad. And maybe we'll hear more about it after the season. Maybe when somebody gets traded and wants to open up anonymously or otherwise, we'll hear about that. And maybe we can assess it at that point. But uh, a lot there by Gelbs on that. I don't agree with Gelbs saying that, you know, this is a uh, not a half measure. To a certain degree, it is. Because if you're telling me half measures don't work, then why is this not a rebuild? I mean, there was just a report doing this during the break that it looks like the Mets are listening to offers for Verlander. Verlander said in the post game today that he is uh, going to have a conversation with the front office. Obviously, depending on where he goes, is going to play a big part in that. And that will also play a big part in whether the Mets want to make the deal because they went to Scherzer with the Texas deal. It's not like they said, hey, where do you want to go? And he said, Texas. They had to go to Scherzer. So it's, it's, it's a lot of moving parts. But what was interesting is that I had originally planned, and I have the notes written out. I wrote them out on on Friday as I was preparing for the show this weekend. One of the big segments I was going to do was one more rodeo with Verlander and Scherzer. That was going to be my message. One more rodeo. What's the harm in doing one more rodeo? Because I wasn't sure what they're going to get. And and does Acuna change my mind? I, I don't know. I mean, look, other than Alvarez, who's performed at an elite level, Beatty has shown no eliteness. We don't know if Mauricio is going to be an elite player. He might be a good component player, borderline all-star. Acuna sounds like that might be who he is. Vientos doesn't look like... Vientos doesn't even look like he could be a part-time DH yet with the way he's played. He certainly can't play defense. You know, Ramirez is years away in Brooklyn. I mean, Jet Williams, years away, 19 years old, promising. But, you know, you don't know. You don't really have a lot in the near term to compete next year. So to me, it really smells like a rebuild again. And I don't blame Verlander for not wanting to be part of it. And if I'm Pete Alonso, I don't want to be part of it. So buckle up, guys. Some wild things could happen. And you all laughed about trading Pete Alonso, but and I don't I'm not saying they will. But I think it's something that you gotta put on the table. I really do. Why not? Why not go wild here? I mean, at this point. What to win seventy eight games with Pete in the lineup? If you're gonna if you're gonna be competitive three or four years down the road, I mean Pete's gonna be thirty two, thirty three, and you don't know how power hitters, uh, as their health declines and as they age, they start to slow down on that fastball inside. You can't catch up to it. All of a sudden, he becomes a strikeout machine who pops the occasional home run. He's not the same player, and expensive if you sign him, very expensive. The other thing as we wrap up here, and it kind of ties into what Gelb said a little bit, is that a lot of fans have been talking about how this is the most disappointing season ever. Any baseball team, any sports team, any New York team in Mets history, 
And I laugh because, you know, maybe in a vacuum you could say that because of the expectations and the money and the feeling back around Christmas after Correa signed that, wow, the Mets are at this next level. They're not going to be stopped. They'll just buy and buy and buy, and they'll stack the deck in their favor until they get that title. And while they're doing it, they're going to build a farm system and maybe develop some guys. And, you know, I get that part. But to me, it's not. Because I still came into this year thinking, hey, they've had to spend a lot of money to make up for the lack of development and cost-controlled, homegrown starters that, you know, do you think they wanted to spend $86 million of their payroll on two aces that are Hall of Famers on the wrong side of 30? They'd love to have the next generation of DeGrom and Syndergaard, Mats, Harvey from 2015. You know, I don't know if those kids we mentioned, the Tidwells and so, and so on and so forth, if those guys are anywhere near that hard. You know, everybody's going to live in the shadows of those guys, the wheelers and whatnot. I don't know. But all I do know this is that as much as they were spending, it was out of a need because they wanted to compete and win and win a World Series. It wasn't because they were just spending to spend. And I was always concerned because I'm like, you know, it's an expensive roster. The luxury tax is a necessity to compete in this day and age if you're going to have expensive stars up and down the roster. I mean, good hitters cost $25 million a year now. Good pitchers are going to cost 30 plus. 25 at least. Like, no one's giving you discounts anymore at that level. Impactful pitchers. You know, even uh, Taiwan Walker's making, what, $72 million for four years? Good pitcher. Probably number three at best. More likely a four. Like, it's expensive to have a competitive baseball team. Now, you could be the Rays and the Marlins, and you heard Eli Sussman. I mean, look at the Marlins. They are, they, they're hoping that David Robertson sneaks them into the postseason and maybe they get lightning on bottle. They did it in 03. They did it in 97. More so 03 than 97. And, you know, that's it. Then they're back to square one and they're back to the drawing board because they can't keep all these parts. They can't. So you got to spend money to stay at the top, but you got to supplement this roster with guys who can make an impact. And they just haven't been able to do that. So... I wasn't as, oh my God, this is the best team in Mets history, the best time in Mets history. I thought it was a fun time. I thought it was a great time to be a Mets fan. It was full of possibilities, and it still is. But you want to know what the most disappointing time in Mets history, and I and I will stand by this, and I absolutely believe this to be the case, is after they lost to the Yankees in the World Series because that was when they had a chance to steal the city. They really did. A generation of young fans would have fell in love with a Mets team that beat the Yankees in the Subway Series. Started with Zeal's ball not going over the wall, and it ended with that horrible Game 1 loss, and then Piazza's ball getting kicked down in center field by some magical hand off of Mariano Rivera that would have tied that game. And then not, even though they lost that series, not leveraging that. I understand not signing Hampton led to David Wright, but going big, trying to make sure they kept Hampton trying to make sure that they got A-Rod, who wanted to be there. You know, really going into the deep end of the financial pool. And look, the Wilpons probably couldn't do it. Doubleday was still around at that point. And maybe the sale with Doubleday looking to get out, you know, I, I understand that there was probably other things going on in the back end that forced the Mets not to be able to do that. But then you had 01, and then they tried to do something similar to what they did last year in 02, not as on a grandiose scale, with Mo Vaughn and Burnett and Robbie Alomar. 
I mean, that 0102 that led to that drop off in 03, and then Omar Manaya coming in and similar to trying to piece it together, going Pedro. And to a certain degree, it worked for a couple of years because you had Wright and Reyes. You had impactful stars. Okay, and you had some veterans that had some life left in their game before they broke down, like Leduca, like Delgado. But, you know, that's disappointing. From that time when the ball landed in Bernie Williams' glove all the way to the collapse in 07 08, you know, the fact that they couldn't sustain and take over the city in a certain way and and, and bridge a, a level of greatness with Reyes and Wright nonetheless after that, very disappointing. You know, and again, if they sign Hampton, maybe they don't get right. I mean, there's a lot of things that could, there's a lot of what-ifs. You know, we did the what-if show, Met show. But I don't think this is the most disappointing. This is frustrating, the fact that we're now going to spend the better part of eight weeks talking about the farm system and Mets history and God only knows what else. It's the biggest challenge this show has had. I'll be honest with you. I'm up for it. I want to give you great content every week. I'll promise you something. You saw a lot of Mets podcasts pop up. You saw a lot of Mets content creators pop up over the last couple of years since Cohen came on board. You will see them jump ship and lose interest in this so fast you won't know what hit you. It's no different than when the blogs became popular and you had the 06 Mets. Everybody was going to do a Mets blog. Guess what? They disappeared during purgatory. They popped up maybe briefly in 2015, but for the most part, they disappeared after the 06, 07, 08 thing. And then they popped back in a big way when Cohen took over, especially when Correa uh, was supposedly signing. So I'm all pop up. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to try to provide you an adult product, even though I curse today. I'm not even going to bleep it out because it's just too much work. Earmuffs. Um, so that's that, you know, it's a challenge for all of us. I had a completely different show plan for you. It goes to show you the best laid plans. had a great opening. I was going to address the Robertson trade and how people were angry that they waited so long. But think about it. If he, they had waited on Robertson while they were trying to figure out the Scherzer deal, Miami wasn't going to sit around and wait for the Mets. And maybe they couldn't get any better. They didn't pick up any of that money. Not that it was a ton, but they didn't pick up any of that money. So... Um, and then we we're going to do one more rodeo, Scherzer and Verlander. But I guess Steve Cohen and Billy Upler had other ideas. So what's next? Well, um, we're going to come to you every week. Uh, I definitely am curious what the next couple of days brings. If Verlander is traded, we'll be back. I'm not sure a Cano or Fam trade will do it. I definitely think at some point in August we're going to have to do a farm system update and kind of get maybe get our friend Ernie Dove or someone else. I'd like to start looking at some of these young pitchers down in in the minors, the Christian Scotts, the Tyler Stewarts, the Blade Tidwells. I like to get a feel of what we really have there on the Mets side because I think they're going to play a big part whether or not they can establish some kind of uh, rotation of any uh, stability and consistency. You can't buy rotation every year, and rotations are expensive. So we'll talk about that, and we'll do some Mets history. And then, you know, it's football season. A lot of you are probably going to check out, and I understand that. It happens when the Mets are out of the race. I've been down this road between the NYBD website, the show over the years, and we just do Mets baseball. It's not like we can pivot and say, oh, let's talk about the Jets. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk about the Knicks coming up. Let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Let's talk about the Giants. Let's talk about Rangers hockey. You can't do that here. It's a Mets show. 
Um, but I could promise you this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to try my best to give you good, entertaining content because I know there are people that are diehards and want to think and talk and eat and drink Mets even when they're not in the best of shape. I don't think things are terribly bad, but I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous because I, I hope there's a, a plan outside of accumulating prospects to entice a David Stearns to take the job. That's what I'm afraid of. You know, I, I this is kind of a pivot. It was almost like they were staying in one frame line. We're going to go for the, you know, we'll, we'll trade off free agents, but we're going to keep the core of the team together. And and I don't know if Acuna is good enough for me. And maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. I could be wrong. Is a good enough prospect for me to do the, the, the strip down without Verla uh, Scherzer. Now, maybe that start in Boston. They had enough because beating the Nats doesn't impress me. Boston week earlier, that was a disappointing, the second game of the doubleheader. Maybe they think he's done. Maybe they're right. We'll see. In you know, three, four days, he's going to be out in Texas. I know Texas comes to City Field. I don't know if his turn of the rotation will be part of that. It'll be interesting to see. Um, but it's crazy times to be a Mets fan. But I will be here. I'm not going anywhere. All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And just showing up a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, no G. And, of course, I want to thank our good sponsors, the good folks at the Fan Side and Podcasting Network, as well as RisingNapple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Buckle up. Trade deadline. We don't know what the hell is going to happen. Until next time, take care. Peace.